comes in handy when you get people in the room. And we've got a we've got a four seat, five seat studio, so we wow. can we can put some people in here and have good coverage all the way around. Right on. Yeah, I I was uh, I went from doing public performances to Zoom performances because I had to be by myself. So totally get it. <laughs> Completely totally got it. what it was for. <laughs> exactly. Well, Gary is here. What's going on, hey, brother? Doing? Hey, the dream. Uh, volume up a little on the mic. You're so far away. Vegas, man. I'm sure you. Uh, I'm sure you know that area. Actually, I'm going there at the end of February this month. Holy crap, that's coming up soon. I've got a trade show plan. That's like next week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I gotta, I gotta get on it. <laughs> right. Well, welcome to the Tragedy Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. My name is Jay. How you doing today, Gary? Doing great. How you guys doing today? Living the dream. We are joined today by John Pritchard, professional mentalist, martial artist, author, coach, with over 15 years of experience. You've seen him on lots of shows. I think America's Got Talent. And you've got like a thousand books. So uh, yeah. how are you doing today, John? <laughs> doing really, <laughs> doing really well. Glad to be here, man. It's good to have you, my man. Why don't you just, uh, we'll jump right in. Tell us where you're from and uh, kind of what you're working on right now. We'll go from there. You got it. Well, I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina, went off to college when I was 18, spent 20 years touring the world. A couple of years ago, I was like, you know, I want to start a family. Let me move back to the mountains. So that's where I am right now, just outside Asheville, North Carolina. And the thing I'm working on now is kind of working with tech companies, helping them communicate their value to the marketplace when they're working on cutting edge stuff. And I do sales, negotiation, presentation skills, training for companies, corporations, just a whole whole bag of stuff. I can only imagine. And the breadth of the types of situations and clientele that you're talking about have got to be the whole spectrum. Because when you're in that arena, just because it's technology doesn't mean that you're not in a warehouse in Mississippi or <laughs> it doesn't mean you're sitting in Google, you know, writing the slide down, eating your sushi while you're having a class. Right, right. I do have to say, uh, let's see, last month I spent 10 days in Dubai working with a company. So that was that was nice. Every quarter they have a, a retreat somewhere in the world and they brought me out for their all hands meeting to talk about a project. So that that actually was the five-star treatment. It's like, oh, this is the life of a consultant? This is fantastic. But yeah, sometimes you get brought in and the green room is the bathroom. <laughs> just like, is there somewhere to change? Like, yeah, there's a restroom right in the lobby. What, what's wrong with you, you diva? So yeah, there, it is a, a whole spectrum for sure. You know, I How was think it about out there? there? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I'm probably going to be working out in Dubai for a month or two uh, soon. I've never been to that neck of the woods. You know, I wasn't it was, out there. It was super cool. The one the one thing that that gave me the most pause was I stopped over in Amsterdam and that's where my connection was. And then flying in, they were like, never take photos, do not take video of people without their express consent, that kind of thing. And I'm walking around with a vlogging camera. Like, <laughs> oh, uh, okay, great. So that that was the thing I was the most worried about because you're walking in, you're like, I am American. I am not from this place. It, it's very 
welcoming to outsiders. However, it's still not America. So I wonder how much I can get away with. So I was very, very cautious about that. But I didn't need to be. Everywhere I went, people had pointed the camera and go, vlogger, YouTube? They're like, yeah, actually. They're like, ah, hey, that waved to the camera. So it was super cool. It is super easy to get around. Everybody will be able to communicate with you. It, it was fantastic. Rules of thumb can be generational. I think that uh, it stays on the books a little bit longer than it needs to exist. We don't like change. We resist it. So those warnings come out. I mean, they're for protection purposes. But for the most part, I think that the generations have slid a little bit the other way. And they kind of invite the uh, opportunity to be part of a viral opportunity or something like that. Absolutely. We, we went to some places where it was very much, hey, don't show your shoulders, no midriff. Very kind of, hey, let's let's be responsible adults here kind of a thing. But for the most part, it's very touristy. The big old mall. I mean, you, you hardly know you're in another country because it's in the desert, big old buildings, a lot of lights, crazy mm. architecture. Oh, yeah, I was in Vegas. <laughs> like, was, I was about to say, Gary was looking around the room. Like, yeah, like, yeah it's, <laughs> if, if you know Vegas, you, you know Dubai. Yeah, Just uh, no gambling, uh, no drinking. <laughs> well, I'll feel at home, but I got to rethink my outfits with this, like having to cover up your shoulders in your midriff. I was thinking mm -hmm. a lot of those like 80s. Yeah, I mean, that like, neon. Top is very becoming. We yeah. did have a conversation about Gary's want to wear that fishnet thing with the numbers, mm -hmm. the random two football numbers on it, but without yeah. ads or anything. Oh, yeah. Was, it's it's a look 17. for sure. <laughs> number 17. I was going to say, uh, Jay, I don't know if you've been to Asheville, but... That is a fucking hidden gem of a town in this country that it's, it's awful. Uh, Don't come here. It's oh, the yeah, worst. It's, it's the smells. people are not nice. It yeah, is our neighbors, I'll get out. Our neighbors yeah. built a, a cottage up there. And um we've we've been looking that direction. We're torn between like Tennessee, Colorado, um, the North Carolina, South Carolina area, but towards the mountains, you know, that kind of thing. And we've just kind of been sniffing it out little by little because much like yourself. I grew up in a very rural area. I grew up in a place called Okeechobee, Florida, in the middle of nowhere. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's hillbilly town in a uh, squat dairy house out in a field. So just like you, took off. I, I left it, went for it, did the army, did the consultant roles, ran around the world. And I can tell you, one of the things that it taught me, because when you grow up uh, underprivileged or in an area that is underprivileged, you don't get a view of society that other people get. You get a view from behind the mask because you don't have anything to hide. So I feel like I want to make this kind of a, it's a question slash a statement. And I, I think that you might understand it. And it's kind of cool. At what point did you find out that you could see other people utilizing their personalities as who they are versus their actual authentic self? Because I feel like that's a linchpin in a lot of what you do. It really is. That's a very insightful question. And it, it took a long time because from my background as a performer and a mentalist specifically, which is kind of a, a flavor magician who has specialized in mind reading tricks, so if you think about it, like you go to college for magic, you get a good education in your fundamentals, and then you get your master's degree. Like, okay, what am I going to specialize in? For me, it was mind reading tricks. So it's always been a balance of stage character versus who you are as a person. 
And the best performers are who they are as a person dialed in with the appropriate parts dialed up. And then the parts that would be distracting from the performance, they're not eliminated. You just reduce their emphasis a little bit. So you get a managed character, but it's still yourself. So you don't have to act. But add on to that, growing up in the mountains of North Carolina, having a Southern accent, and then you leave the mountains and everybody thinks you're an idiot because you have a drawl. <laughs> yeah. So then you go, well, I don't want people to think I'm an idiot, so I'm going to lose my accent. So then you specifically become this bland nothing. Do that for 15, 20 years and then go, what am I doing? Like, I, ah, screw this. And then you just stop with the radio announcer enunciation and then just talk how you're going to talk. And suddenly everybody goes, oh, hey, that's you. Okay, nice to see you for the first time. <laughs> well, it's actually, it's nice to meet yourself, right? Because that is a long path. What you're describing to me is mindfulness, obviously. Um, having that self-awareness and starting to break down the fallacies in reality and what we're choosing to be our reality versus what is actually there. And I think that over time, we start to realize that everything that we interact with is a choice and that there's no need to begin with because we already have an authentic experience happening. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, from the, the world of, of martial arts, it's kind of weird that human beings are one of the only creatures on planet who need to be taught how to behave naturally. Imagine that. <laughs> it's it's so weird. So it, it is difficult. You need to train yourself to learn those patterns of behavior that align with reality so that it becomes natural. But at first, because you've been so out of alignment for so long, proper alignment feels wrong. And you're like, no, being wrong is what feels correct because you've been doing it for so long. Not mm -hmm. that it's actually correct. So yeah, it is a, a lot of unlearning more than it is creating something or discovering is letting go of all those layers of I think I should, I believe this because and all those mm -hmm. ideas you've got between who you are and how you meet the world. I heard a talk the other day where they were describing the word belief and that belief is something that you should be questioning or locating, not what the problem is. So that if you had something that was bothering you within your life, rather than confront what is bothering you, ask yourself the immediate question, what do I believe is causing me the problem? Or why does this exist or a problem for me? Nine times out of 10, it's an internal mechanism that you've created out of fear to protect you from whatever that is. I want to exactly. go, go back to what you were just saying, though, about how, for me, those experiences are those layers. I use a metaphor that's a rope, right? And what we're describing is the unraveling process of a knot. However, what happens for the way that I describe this is going in each of those experiences and personalities, because we're not saying that. Those announcer voices, the AT&T voice, the I'm talking to my mom voice, 
Those are all personalities that you have to unravel too because you've been trying to remember them. And each one of those compounded with negative experiences. We don't like to uh, go through them. We like to keep them um, because going through them means that we're fucking stronger than we believe, right? So that rope becomes like that, just that nasty mess where it you just can't even pull it apart. So you have to start that process of mindfulness. And as you pull one of the ends through, and then another one, and another one, you start to find a personality, a traumatic experience, whatever they are. What happens is, is you get to find out eventually two things. One, the more you unravel, the faster the knot comes apart. And then the second part is, you were never a knot. You were a rope the whole time. You were a perfect piece of rope from the beginning. And then keep in mind that anytime you're not, you're useless. Yep, because you're already defined into that pattern, and that's the only shape you can take. Yeah, you're not going to help anybody. You're a knot. You're not like towing a, a car. You're not fucking doing anything else. You're just a fucking knot. Yeah, but that's great. I like that. You're still perfect. You're not frayed. You're not broken. You're not ripped in half. You're just tied in knots. And the funny thing is, is you chose every single one of them. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think early on when we're kids, we experience the world and that kind of sets our programming of logic mm. of if this, then that. If somebody says this, then they mean that. And our programming is installed by the time we're five, basically. And then we spend the rest of our life running that programming and within the framework of your your programs it all makes sense it is all logical input this output because of this logic in my little black box of belief and your behavior is in alignment with that value structure of your programming so that's why the craziest decisions make sense to you because blah 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 so that's why everybody believes that they are super logical and they kind of are, but you can change that programming so that the logical conclusion of whatever the story means opens up other options. Because it's all made up anyway. Exactly. Exactly. You can plug a hole with any ideal because the hole doesn't exist and neither does the ideal. They're right. both made up. So I can take imaginary puzzle pieces and fill that mental void that gives me that satisfaction and puts me in a position socially or in my hierarchy where I feel like I've done the right thing. Because that's all we're doing. We're like Spider-Man falling down a tube, shooting spider webs out every time we make a decision. Whoops, don't move. Don't move. Okay, we're safe again. <laughs> exactly. And, and we just keep doing it over and over and over again. So you've taken this unique ability to discern and now you've stepped away from the stage and you're working with businesses a lot of people wouldn't understand why you chose businesses versus individuals can you explain why you made that decision for sure the performing is great and it is a lot of fun and i still do it still entertain at colleges still do corporate galas and awards banquets and sometimes mm -hmm. in the featured keynote, which is kind of a show with a little bit of message so that people will pay attention. So I still do it. But it was kind of weird when my top goal and focus was be as successful as a performer as possible. And it's the Jonathan show. 
I didn't get booked all that often. So it was weird believing I'm a full-time performer. I'm a full-time entertainer. That's what I do. That's who I am. And I, I wasn't making all that much money at it, even though I'm literally world-class at what I do. It was in service of my own ego. I was so, waiting for that word, service. Why, why wasn't I getting booked? I, I can't figure this out. Why doesn't anybody want how amazing I am, right? <laughs> so that, that didn't work. And then it was weird that the instant that I put my highest goal in service to other people's dreams, that I start making all the money. I was like, wait a minute, what is going on? So to me, the entertainment is fun. And it is noble, kind of like what Stan Lee was talking about. It's like, I always felt bad just being a comic book artist. We and then realized, realized that, oh, entertainment and that escape from your problems is noble work. And it was exactly the same thing with performing. But during that 70 minutes that I'm doing the show, people forget their problems and then leave to go right back to their problems. Mm. So that's, that's not so great. So then I, I took that highest ideal and then went, okay, where can I help the most people knowing what I know, doing what I can do? And then to me, businesses are the number one way to help the most people possible as quickly as possible because a business is a sustainable way of making more value in the world and providing service at a low price and all that stuff, right? So you're helping the founder make profit off the company and his payday is tied to the profit. You're helping all the employees because they get to keep a job because the business is successful. So then they get to provide for all their families. Then all the clients and customers are getting a great service at a lower cost. So now they've got more resources for their family. So it's this weird fractal, multiple layer kind of a thing where if you help the business be more successful, mm. you're helping every single person who ever comes in contact with that business from that day forward be more successful. You're like, okay, creating that's, standard, that's a hell of a standard operating procedures for companies that will stand the test of time. They're right. going to continue to have that effect. You took the rock that you throw in the pond and you turned it into a boulder and threw it in there instead. It's got a bigger magnitude. It's going to stretch further. It's going to have a harder impact than if you were giving those small messages woven into what was your talent. And I would argue that that was just the precursor and the necessary steps in order to have the know, you know, the knowledge and the talent to be able to leverage it on that, you know, that's a larger stage. What no yeah. matter what anybody says, that's a larger stage. It really in my is. Mind. Yeah, it and it really is. Could you explain exactly what you do for the corporations? You know, we did our research, but the listeners at home might not exactly yeah, know, you know, yeah, what for you're sure. Doing. Yeah. So on stage as a mentalist, what I'm doing is combining applied psychology, showmanship, and moxie to make it look like I can predict the future, influence people's decisions, help people speak languages and read languages that they don't speak. Basically, like doing the impossible kind of things, bending metal with my mind, like all that kind of stuff falls under the umbrella of mentalism. And it's, it's just all communication skills. That's all it is. So the, the way it all works is that the mentalist creates a context for the audience to make logical assumptions that are later shown to not be true. And think of it like 
learning how to paint so well that it looks like the physical object is right there on the table, but it's a flat painting. In order to paint that well, you have to study reality and understand it perfectly and then develop the skills to replicate a perfect fake reality to create it that's indistinguishable from reality. Now, most people think they're great painters because they're touching paint all the time, but they're, they're not actually great communicators. Mm-hmm. Right? They're like, oh, I, I'm, I'm a great communicator. No, you just talk a lot. So you have to become <laughs> that's me. perfect. Yeah, it's like you, you need to learn how to be a perfect communicator before your lie is indistinguishable from the truth. So in a way, learning how to lie within the context of the honest liar performance of a magician, when you learn how to perform a magic trick perfectly, you're learning how to be a perfect communicator of truth at the same time. So when I was looking into my business and going, how do I get to be better? I need to be making more money. And I was reading all these business books and they were saying, here's the psychology of sales. Here's the psychology (laughs) of marketing. Here's the psychology of of negotiation. It's like, wait a minute. Every single one of these authors can only use storytelling about people who probably didn't exist in situations they never encountered as (laughs) as an abstract parable. Wait a minute. I can demonstrate these ideas on stage better then any of these authors could write about it. I'm going to eat their lunch. (laughs) So most of what I do for corporations kind of falls into a couple camps. One is I do two-day workshops, uh, one on sales, one on negotiation, one on presentation skills, and another one just on influence with integrity, just kind of the super, just kind of the, the, what do you call it? The, helps your engine be better, right? It's the super sauce that makes every th- all the other skills work more effectively. So we do two two-day workshops for that. Mainly the sales team are the folks that that go through those. And then the other way is if they're doing a product launch or trying to break into a new market and they're trying to communicate to people. Mm. So like, okay, here's what we do. Here are all the features we love. How, why is nobody buying it? Like, well, because they don't understand what the features are. You've built it. You understand your baby inside out. But I have no clue what the Samiflange 3000 does. I couldn't care less. They're like, oh, it cures cancer. I'm like, why didn't you lead with that? So <laughs> helping them <laughs> communicate totally their value is, is super valuable. Right? And then there's the, I uh, come in as a keynote speaker, get everybody jazzed to be alive and to, to work at this company, kind of going, wow, this company cares enough to bring Jonathan in and have such a great time. Okay, this is a really cool place for me to work. And now you've reduced your employee churn for at least the next year. Isn't it amazing? That's like uh, trying to give somebody a pizza party to fucking get them through the year. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I could handle I'm the that. gold star. You're the gold star. <laughs> you got so, five gold stars. You get one Jonathan. Like, ooh, one. big whoop. It's actually well, fun. A, yeah, I was about to say, I want to be, get, as long as you're not a scratch and sniff sticker. That's right. the ones that you don't want on your I, paper. I do smell. <laughs> I do smell, but you don't need to scratch me. <laughs> so I want to 
point something out because I like the parallel in what you were describing with something that fascinates me uh, after a couple of discussions with different actors and producers and script writers and things like that. It became very apparent that what you were describing, those roles where you are the perfect liar, where you're playing the role, and it stands out to me with method actors. Method actors, and I always hear people say that, what the fuck do they know? They're just actors, right? And I, for a long time, of course, that made sense to me because I was living in that box, right? I'm like, I don't know, who gives a fuck? You know? And then I think about it. How many times have I sat down and pretended to be homeless for a month in order to play a homeless person? You get empathy by living in someone else's shoes or wearing their lenses, their prescription, like we were talking about the other day, Gary, everybody's got a lens prescription on their glasses. Mm -hmm. And you've got to wear it so long that their prescription works for you. You can't just put it on and be like, well, I don't fucking can't see. You know, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. You've got to wear that shit for a while. But I could only imagine as a mentalist, you almost have to step into their box and become them looking at you. Is that a fair assumption? Yes. You have to have a phenomenal theory of mind in order to fully embody their perspective and to understand what they're seeing from you, then what that would lead them to believe, and then the conclusions that they will make from that. And fully, fully architected that out then design experiences that create the correct conclusions for them, which are the exact wrong conclusions for reality, so that there's a separation between reality and where they believe they are. And then the space between those two is the space for the magical effect of, oh, wow, that's amazing. So in the context of a magic performance, that is a great thing. In the context of anywhere else, that is a horrific thing. Hundred mm, percent. Right? Like, so, in the in a sales conversation, if you think you're here and the client thinks they're there, but you both believe you're on the same page, you're never closing that, and you can get through the whole process, sign the agreement, then deliver what you understand you're delivering. And then the client's going, why did you do that? That's not at all what I hired you to do. And you're like, uh, how in the world could you believe that? Well, it's because you didn't embody their perspective enough to understand what conclusions they're making. So yeah, I, I learned that super early. Like when I was a kid, six, eight years old, maybe, because every magic book is written like a recipe for miracles. It's like, here are the props you're going to need. Here's what you do. Here's what you say. And voila, amazement happens. So I would do the right things. I would say the right things. And then my dad would go, Jonathan, I saw you do the thing with the stuff. Like it, it didn't work. And I was like, but I did the thing. I, did, I followed the recipe. And it was the, you have to do it the right way. That is an essential element. You can't ignore that. So you can say the right stuff. You can do the right stuff. But it's not done in the right way at the right time from the right perspective, nothing works. So yeah, that's that's user experience, that's mm -hmm. interactive design, that's web development. How are people going to navigate the website? People are like, wait, why are you trying to click on that? Like what? Then the visitor's going, it looks like a button. I'm trying to click mm -hmm. the button. 
And <laughs> and you're like, that's not a button. I'm like, I believe it is. I'm trying to click with it. So when you install those those heat maps to see how people are interacting with your website, you discover, oh, I designed this environment that is confusing, even though it makes sense to me. Why does it make sense to me? Oh, because I'm the one that spent six months designing it and I lost my way and lost track of the mind of my ideal visitor. Therefore, nothing I do works. Oh, okay, I get it. So having that theory of mind, being able to embody the perspective of your clients is square one for branding, for marketing, for sales, for closing, mm. for delivering. If you lose track of what your clients are thinking, you're sunk. Yeah, we deal with that a lot when we're editing. You know, if we're shooting a reality show, we've been living these people's lives and filming them every day. So there's certain things we know and then, you know, we'll cut it together and, you know, someone outside like the network or someone to watch and like well i don't know why she does this or that doesn't make any like how do they even know each other or you know something like that and it's we we it was just we were there for nine months we knew that they were brother and sister or cousins or they did yep. that and exactly you know, their background and then it's like how much do you spoon feed the audience like make sure they know this and mm-hmm. how much do you want them to figure out on their own so right you know that happens right. lot, especially with non-scripted stuff exactly you're constantly editing people's reality and it it takes a lot of cognitive effort to maintain those separate narratives that are happening at the same time because you've got your perspective and narrative of what's happening and understanding of the relationship of characters. Then they've got their experience. Then you've got the film narrative of what you watch from the perspective of the cameras. Then you watch through there. Then you're editing it together. Then you've got the narrative of people who are coming cold with zero context. So yeah, you're you're working with four or five layers of stories that are all reality, but it all depends on the perspective and context of the people experiencing it. So you're right. You it's easy to lose your your path of what you're trying to get a cold viewer to understand about what it is that they're looking at. Right. And it's what you're looking at too. You know, like, you know, we have to edit out ninety percent of a show. So We'll just use YouTube's examples. You know, you're in a house for six weeks on a reality show. You were a real asshole like three times. Never an asshole to any of the other editors or anything, right? Jay, nicest guy in the world most of the time, but like a real jerk with these, these other two girls. And I never I have my saw moments. that. So it's like, we decide what goes in. So like those three asshole moments might be what we show on the super tease, the, you know, all the previews and, you know, every little conversation about it afterward. We play that for the next four weeks. Like, Jonathan is a real prick. You were the nicest guy ever for 99% of the time, you know? And yep. then, you know, Jay might have been like worst guy ever, but we show these three like really nice things that he did. And I, I over kissed and a over puppy. Again. Yep. You yep. know? So it's like, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing. I would say like on television, nothing's real. Like no. that's, that's a box with some light coming from it. That's a, like, there aren't really people in there. And when you say it that way, People say, well, of course, Jonathan, that's so stupidly obvious. I don't believe there are real people inside that tell like I Jonathan, I'm not an idiot. But did you see what happened last week at the <laughs> You're like, we every you, single Mafia? layer of that is is not true. <laughs> if it stressed you out, you believed it. Yep. Like if you're if you're breathing heavy with the person on the screen, t- too late. Or Just because mad. you know they're not real, you're there, dude. And that's the yep. intent of the entire thing. 
That is how it works. I love, though, I want to take a step back because you brought up the technology piece and web development, how people use things and how you paint a picture. Um, you're an artist, mm-hmm. right? I think initially you're a painter before yeah, anything that, else, right? That's my degree is in painting. Portraits is what I, I like painting the most. But yeah, tradi- traditional media, paint on canvas. Here we go. You paint the mind. Like that is a canvas as well. And what made that pop up to me when you said technology, I was like, well, shit, AI art, text to image. Some people right now are going to be much better at getting what they want out of it because they know how to describe it to the machine. Not just describe it, but describe it to the machine. They're going to be able to take out all of the other context clues that it might pull on that it doesn't need. It's going to be lean, it's going to be mean, and it's going to be very wordy in the right ways. Exactly. I almost got thrown out of the traditional painting track. I almost got thrown out of college for using a digital camera to take photos to get turned into slides. That's how old I am. I'm right in that estuary between traditional media and then digital technology So at the time, my girlfriend had a a phenomenal digital camera. She was on the newspaper team. So her her digital camera is the best you could get at the time. And our assignment for senior year was, okay, Jonathan, you're going to be a professional artist. You're going to need to submit your slides to museums and galleries in order to get exhibits. So this is what you need to learn how to do. So you're going to take slides of your work with a traditional camera, with slide film, get them processed, get them developed. That's what it is. And then I'm going, that sounds hard. Like, <laughs> right. I could I could just take digital photos. That would be perfect because digital is so much easier to do. And then I'll get them printed as slides and boom, done. And I made the mistake of opening my big damn mouth and I was the, the whipping boy for the whole thing and almost they didn't graduate because you didn't follow the spirit of the blah, 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 right? So I've always been, I've always loved using technology and magicians have been the first people to use technology. Uh, Georges Millais was the first special effects artist for movies. He he discovered the power of the jump cut to make things disappear. Bef- like the jump cut was a cutting edge technology, literally cutting the edges of the film, Right. So magicians have always been at the forefront of integrating technology in ways that blow people's minds. So for AI and all that stuff, yeah, I to me, it's just another tool. And there are some people it who should. can use tools better than other people, but there's no reason to get butthurt about it. It's not real art, capital, <laughs> real trademark. gatekeeping like, creativity. Don't exactly art. There's exactly. no such thing. Art is freedom of expression. You can do whatever the fuck you want with whatever you want. We were yep. discussing this the other day with AI in regards to music. That's a little scary to some people. And you don't yep. tell somebody that's a classically trained, you know, pianist or, you know, guitarist or whatever they are, that they're now... All of their skills exist on a keyboard right? for well, anybody to use without look, their method of having learned it. it and just, I get it. It eats me up inside. It eats it me up inside. Because, listen, the, the Renaissance artists who you are like, oh, my God, this, this is the epitome of human achievement. They were using camera lucidas, which was a half-silvered mirror that allows you to look and see your paper at the same time. So you just trace what it is. 
And then even we before that, that school, the Cyclops. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or projector. You, you got a big ass tent, you poke a hole in it, then the scenery projects on the back, and then you trace the scenery and paint it. So the people you <laughs> hold as the epitome of human skill and no technology were doing paint by numbers. All right, you idiots. Like this has always been around. <laughs> Tracing has always been around. And to me, it's like tracing is cheating only if art is a competition. And screw you, I'm running my own race. I don't care what you say. I'm here to be awesome and make cool shit. Like, there you go. Leave me alone. And you were just capturing your art in a different way. It wasn't like your paintings or whatever were suspect. You were just capturing the art in an easier way so you could present it. Right. So that's that's even more bullshit. Yeah, and like my my process, if you want to get pretentious <laughs> artist about it, my process was that I would take Polaroids, then put the Polaroid in an opaque projector, project it onto the canvas, trace the outline, then paint from that. I was like, why in the world am I going to spend a week trying to draw and render this <laughs> thing? Remember the shape of an ear. Right. Yeah, that. I was like, no, no, I'm going to get this done in 20 minutes instead of three days so that I can spend all my time painting and exploring the paint on canvas instead of, I have to be a good drawer first before I can consider myself a painter. Like, always work on my rendering and, and eye hand coordination. It's, I don't want people to think it's an excuse to be awful at your skills, but use the tools which is hilarious to me. People go, oh, I couldn't even draw a straight line. I'm like, yeah, that's why we have things called rulers. Yeah, you okay, can like, draw a straight ne- line. Take a piece yeah. of cardboard. <laughs> My circle looks like shit. That's why I use a compass. Take right. a fucking pop can. Use a pop can. There's circular yeah, things in your own. Can. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, you're less smart than a chimp because chimpanzees can use tools. So you're telling me you're that big an idiot. You, whatever you're saying to me is not that persuasive guy. <laughs> it never is because it's their argument. It's yeah. their Tetris piece to justify where they quit. Yeah. In, incompetence signaling is never a good look. Weakness signaling, mm. being ineffective yeah. is not a virtue to me. Like I'm incapable. I'm not going to try. I'm, I'm angry at success. Like That's a you problem, man. How's that working out for you? Yeah, we talked about that at work yesterday about like, why would you want to do that? Like, tell everybody that you can't do anything. So, you know, I get it. You're lazy. You know, some people are lazy or self-esteem or whatever. But it's like, why are you like, I can't do shit over here at all. And I won't try or, you know, I won't try to learn or like fix these problems. So everyone's going to have to help me and or do it for me or it's not going to get done. Like, well, what do you think? Excuses are cheaper than action. That's why. Yep. It's For much sure. easier to come up with an excuse to look like you deserve to be in your victimhood for whatever the situation is than it is to just stand up and do something. And of course, the irony is that it costs you everything because you get nothing living life that way. So Bro, joke's right? on you, jerk. And, and I, I want to actually touch on a point. You have a unique view on motivation because we're talking about action. Right, action creates tangible results and real items that you can take on forward through time if time exists. Right. Yep. But motivation. Can you explain well, how you feel about that? Absolutely. Oh, okay. Man, you guys are getting me <laughs> riled up. Okay, that's what we do. 
I, I say all of this with love and I, I kind of come from that hard Kung Fu background of the fastest way is to get punched in the face to learn, oh, maybe I shouldn't let that happen. <laughs> so sometimes you need to, to hear some harsh truths to make it through rather than, oh, poor baby. So I hate motivation. I hate motivational speakers. I think they are <laughs> frauds. I think they are disingenuous. I think that they are doing active harm to all of their audiences. It is a sham. It is lying. It is a thing that will destroy your life for these reasons. Your emotions are a temporary reaction that mm. you can reprogram by reframing your beliefs and examining all that stuff and through hard work, restructuring your value system so that the logical conclusion of this experience leads to a different emotion. So emotions are a great barometer of how you believe your needs are being met. Motivation is an emotional experience. So if you believe that you require motivation in order to do what needs doing, you need to wait until you feel right for it. So right. if, if you are trying to elicit a particular emotion or feeling, what's that what we call, oh yeah, masturbation. So it's a form of emotional masturbation to make yourself feel good so that you can complete the project. Bro, just add fireworks and you've got it all together. That's what they are. It's all temporary. That's, so that's I just all wanted to add on to your masturbation metaphor if we just put yeah. a nice firework in the sky after. Yeah, that, that was the completing <laughs> the project, you know, bring a full, full circle jerk. So that's, that's why I, I hate motivational speakers because they come in, they pleasure you for a little bit, then leave, and then you're like, oh, I don't feel good anymore. And you're like, yeah, the feel-good man left. That's why. And Buy his book. Right. Buy his and, next class. Right. And then, and yes. And then they justify it with like, what's what's the saying of like, uh, people say motivation doesn't last and neither do showers. So that's why we recommend you do it at least every day. <laughs> like, okay, you idiot. So so that's why <coughs> subverting Farts logic. Eat your vegetables. Right. So, <laughs> what the fuck so, does that so mean? What happens, what happens is you are trying to subvert reason, logic, and clear understanding and wisdom of reality to get a clear picture of what do I need to do for strategy to accomplish what I want to accomplish. That's hard work. That's That needs perception and innovation and planning, reason, logic, that kind of thing. And then you're subverting all of that under this emotional experience. That's what the sophists were doing back in ancient Greece. So instead of logic and reason and clear perception of wisdom being the highest value, you are holding up this emotional experience as the highest value. And that's the best way to destroy your life. So if you want to burn everything to the ground, sure, follow your passion, be motivated. Oh, why? I, I need to feel a certain way to do what needs doing. Reality doesn't care. The universe doesn't care. It, it works off cause and effect. And your imagination is the only thing that can change the course of that cause and effect. But it's not how you feel about it. Reality doesn't care. When you're getting punched in the face, it doesn't, it doesn't care at all if you enjoy it or hate it. You're getting hit. So <laughs> deal with that.
Yeah, I think that what you have to discover is purpose. When you find purpose, then you're not hunting around for all the other things. Which you create too. You create your purpose. Everybody's like, I need to find myself. And like, no, you're you're never not in the universe, you fucking weirdo. So you're not going to find yourself somewhere that you're not already because wherever you go to find yourself, you, you're there Wherever you go, there you are. That Yogi Berra thing, right? The map pin is in your head, Chief. Exactly. It's stabbing you exactly. in the fucking top of the head. So your purpose, your meaning is what you decide to create. Oh, yeah, reality is a creative endeavor. So you're the one creating your purpose. So that's why I, I also rankle at the, oh, I have to discover my purpose. I have to find myself. I'm like, no, you idiot. It's your <laughs> power to make manifest through your actions and focus what your meaning is. So... If, if you think somebody else has your meaning, if somebody else is keeping your purpose, like some kind of wizard on the mountain has it trapped in the dungeon and you've got to go crusade to find it, like that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It sounds like a choice to me because no person in their right mind would believe that's actually the case. They just like that it's sold so they don't have to get out of the fucking chair after the fact. Right. Right. Your but soul it is, victimhood status. Right. But it's that same, it's that same thing of people going, Jonathan, of course I know everything on television is fake and a lie. Those aren't really people <laughs> in there. Of course I don't believe that my purpose is being kept in a dungeon under lock and key by an evil wizard. But I need to go find myself. I don't know what I'm doing. I need But he has a little mic on a string right in front of his mouth. That means that he's telling the truth. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's so, yeah. I, it's it's. I mean, they figured it out in in before Buddhism that believing what's real that isn't real is the source of suffering. And yeah, everybody thinks reality is something that it's not, and then wonder why it hurts when they stub their toe. I didn't believe there was a coffee table there. Like yeah, but in reality there was. So you're sewing your own veil. You're exactly. sitting there weaving a tapestry all this time, not to realize that all you have to do is fucking walk through it like a 70s porn star in beads, and yep. you're fucking on the other side. It had just as much ability to stop you as it did the other way. Your fears right. are non-existent. They're just fucking your mind, protecting your heart from past experiences. That's it. Like, that's it's, all it is. I'm in pain. Somebody's really hurting me. Oh, this is excruciating pain. And somebody's looking at you going, you're the one pinching your own leg, dude. Like, oh, I <laughs> You'll am. pinch oh, your leg weird. for next year's problems. Exactly. You'll pinch your leg now for next year's fucking problems. That's right. If that's not show insanity. You how to be motivated to stop pinching yourself. <laughs> These 10 steps. Start punching yourself. Stop the one punching step yourself. They don't want you to know. You're right. Stop pinching yourself. Yeah, there's always that thing that these, they don't, you know, like the government or whoever, they, they, they don't want you to do this or they're doing that. I'm like, well, who's the they? Well, they don't want you to know. So I don't know. I'll fucking you know that's England. Like, you know, <laughs> right. How'd I got to find out, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, I got like, you it's know, like, like running around a tree with your friend trying to see each other. Yeah, it's yep. like, all the conspiracy people, which I'm like now turning hardcore into an anti-maxer, but that's the error there. Um, but, you know, they didn't want you to know they don't do this. And, you know, they suppressed all of the like studies. And I'm like, well, how do you know they exist? And who are these people suppressing it? You know, like that kind of thing. And it's, mm -hmm. it's always these they and they have this information. And somehow you watch that one fucking episode or your uncle's cousin's brother fucking works at NASA or some shit. And, you know, it's like. 
of course I don't believe everything that the government tells me in any way, shape, or form. But like, mm, but well, somebody does. Yeah, it's your definitely- reality box. Your reality box creates that that acceptance. Yep. Right? Oh, I'm so glad you used that. Oh, reality box. Oh, that that reminds me of one of my favorite things to explain this stuff to I people. I did that on purpose. For those of you Thank out there, you. I'm, he, I'm a great podcast. Yeah, we, we talked for like 40 minutes like, okay, you're going to need to tee this up. That, that's <laughs> all a lie. That never happened. Right, so the reality box. B.F. Skinner was a, a psychologist and experimenter on pigeons. <laughs> and he, he created... So this is a homeless guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was but a crazy genius. person, but genius. He's like, I'm going to study my work regardless of the consequences. So he he created superstitious pigeons. And I don't just mean pigeons that did weird shit. I mean superstitious pigeons is a bad name. Superstitious pigeons. He straight up created superstitious pigeons. Here's how he would do it. He would put them in a box where there was a lever where if you peck lever, then food comes out. And they're in there until they learn that association, that logic. If input, then output. Okay, boss, got it. I'm hungry. I'm pecking the lever. Food comes out. Cool. So they're there long enough to have the Pavlovian conditioning of this equals that. So that's Mm -hmm. classic conditioning. Then after they understood the logic of the box, within the framework of the box, they get it. Outside the framework of the box, Skinner then sets up the food to drop out at random time intervals. The lever doesn't work anymore. But that's outside the context of the pigeon's experience. So then the pigeon's looking over its right right shoulder and then food drops out and it goes, oh, that's the new input. Okay, I now have to look over my shoulder and then that's when food drops out. And it tries it and I'm like, maybe I'm not doing it right. Maybe I need to look harder over my shoulder. And then food drops out and it's like, okay, I need to look really hard over my right shoulder. So now you've got this pigeon who believes that looking over the right shoulder, but really hard, otherwise it won't work, is the way that the food works. Isn't that religion? I'm sorry. It's it's (laughs) everything. So that's, yeah. Within the context of your reality box, you understand the logic of the input and output and your behavior makes sense. You're not superstitious. You're not behaving in a way that's out of alignment of reality. Look at this lifetime's worth of evidence that this is totally natural behavior within your framework, absolutely. But to anybody who's not in your reality box, they're going, this son of a bitch is crazy. So that's everybody's trapped in their own box, which is also why I hate people who say, think outside the box. Like, no, you can't think outside of the box You're always in a box of context and experience. You can only crawl out of this smaller box into a slightly larger box that is with it. It's boxes all the way up. So it's a honeycomb hideout. Exactly. You're just experiencing bigger and bigger contexts and frameworks to relate with reality, but you're always in a box of logic somehow. I think there's another term for that, like called like reality tunnels, and they interact with like cones. Everybody's got one. They move throughout their life and everything in their reality. What's that? They all stink. What'd you say? But that's, that was assholes. Yeah, they scratch each other and they're like, you scratch my cone, I'll scratch your cone. <laughs> oh, yeah. man, we're scratching other. cones? Yeah. Luke cone scratching <laughs> on a Wednesday morning. So, so, yeah. I love to give people opportunities to talk about their passions. And I know that you're passionate about everything you do. 
However, you have another portion of your passions that I think is interwoven, but is really cool that most people don't do these days. And that's uh, what Wing Chun, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wing Chun Kung Fu, which to me is a fantastic system of learning how to align your human pattern to the forces of the universe. And Wing Chun gets a, a bad name, rightfully so, because a lot of people understand it as dynamic patty cake. And <laughs> let me take 50 moves to do one thing, and they just get they just get into the patty cake playfulness of it. Like, oh, I can trap and I'm gonna do all these fancy techniques. And that's that's stupid. So it does get a bad name, understandably so. However, at the heart of it is is a really cool system that is very logical, that works you through, here's how the universe works, here's how the body works, here's how the mind works, here's how the emotions work, here's how you can align all of them so that your intention is perfectly aligned with your actions, your emotions, everything. So most people are trying to do too much at once, and therefore their effort is directed in 10 directions. So you're one-tenth as effective as if you had aligned everything to a single goal and then move your whole spirit and body and life in one direction, how the hell are, are you going to stop somebody with that kind of unified spirit, body, ideas? Your whole life is focused on one tiny point. You're phenomenally powerful. And somebody who kind of wants to maybe do something isn't going to hold you back. So it's about unifying all the separate parts that are disjointed out of alignment, bring them together, focus them on one goal, and that's how you get results. Two words, Anderson Silva. Everybody else can shut the fuck up. They don't think it... The, the man was a genius. He phenomenal. So yeah, the, the first form teaches you how to define zero like where where's the point in reality that I'm going to measure myself from? Is it something external? How do I measure mm. up against this external thing? Or am I going to identify with the core of who I am and I'm always home no matter where I go? Okay, that sounds more powerful. Cool. Now that you've gotten in touch with the center of, of your existence, now let's learn how to move in a straight line because that's the simplest, easiest thing. Here's how you move through reality directly from here to there. Sometimes there are obstacles. So the third form is here's how to move around obstacles in the indirect paths when the direct path is, is not open. So then how do I practice that? I need to experience it through space and time in relationship with some other entity or dynamic. So now that's the wooden dummy that teaches you positioning, distance, technique, transition, how to play out these ideas through space-time. And then, now that I know how to manage myself and navigate these dynamic situations in relationship with other dynamic systems, now I know how to use tools to increase my area of effect. And then that's where the sword form is, the big-ass knives. So that's the fifth form. Then the final form, the sixth form, this is my final form, is the <laughs> long pole, which is a study of leverage. So it's this long-ass nine-foot pole, and you're holding it way at the ass end of it, so it's super heavy, really difficult to maneuver. Mm. 
But that is the nature of leverage. Everybody wants, oh, I'm, I need a high leverage thing because that's the easiest thing to do. Actually, leverage is insanely difficult, requires phenomenal power and ultimate control over the dynamics so that you can, you can put in effort at the current point focused on a, a future point, And it takes a lot of power to affect the end nine feet away. So what am I, what am I focusing on right now? What do I have control over right now for the next moment that will drastically change the trajectory of my life? That's what leverage is. So it's all about force applied to a fulcrum across time. How, how are you doing that in life, in business? So to me, it is the, the coolest laboratory for exploring how to align yourself with reality that that you could possibly get. And if you're lucky enough to find somebody who will punch you in the face with love, you you learn really fast. Now, Gary, I don't want that. No matter how hard you sell it, I'm not buying it. <laughs> I love you, man. This is hurting you more than it's hurting me. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting <laughs> yourself. Stop hitting yourself. And that's, that's another thing. Quantum is, mechanics says you're right. doing this. Well, that's the thing. You you learn how to establish your boundaries. Like this, this is all the area that I can manage. I can't manage out here. Here, my boundaries are a lot tighter than than you want. It's really uncomfortable how little space you can actually manage. So you create your boundaries. And then the only reason I'm hurting you is you are trying to violate my boundaries and get beyond my boundaries. You're literally hitting yourself on my boundaries. I'm not hitting you. I am presenting my boundary and you're the one impacting with my Mm. structure. So I'm not compromising myself. I'm not attacking you. I am the only thing I'm doing is standing with integrity and you're the one trying to violate that integrity. And by virtue of trying to violate my integrity, which of us has the stronger position, oh yeah, it's me. So you're hitting yourself on my elbow, on my fist, on whatever, and it wouldn't happen if you weren't coming at me, bro. Oh man, that's the last thing you want to hear from the dude that's kicking your ass. You're doing this to yourself. How'd you like that elbow you just wanted? <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so and that's, that's why this Kung is Fu is so powerful is you're only helping people do what they already want to do. Mm, and that, that sounds a lot like what them. you were talking about in your mentalist work. It Weird, sounds exactly right? the same. Weird. Mm. So yeah, so that's why I like coming at it from different directions, from the the physical dimension of cold, hard reality, cause and effect, here you go, or the mental reality of imagining a different life so that you could believe that things could be different and then change the trajectory of your life. But you need both sides working together. We're, we're creatures of spirit manifested with psychophysical meat bags of of reality so that's that's why life is both of those together not one or the other and most people pick one and then run with it ignoring the other one people be like i'm so smart i'm the world's smartest person and i can't i can't deadlift anything You're like well i know okay. that guy i want to punch him he's very his voice is punchable the whole thing yeah just that, oh, that, that, that german word for a punchable face so many people and so many people. <laughs> That's too funny. Are you familiar with like the controversy? I said, well, question. You know, there's a lot of controversy over some of the techniques that are being applied in MMA. John Jones being one of them. That the kicks to the knees and to the legs that are you know meant to tear ligaments and and you know career and yep. attempts. Um, you know, in in ways, but you know, it's MMA. It's 
all, you know, we're not gouging the eyes or going to the groin or, you know, right. Small, right. Like, this isn't a fight to the death. And I'm not one of those idiots that goes, well, MMA is not a real fight. And therefore, me, <laughs> armchair martial artist, am better suited to survive a life or death situation. Like, no, I, I'm I'm familiar with John Fitch. I've been on his podcast. We we talk back and forth. Like, yeah, he, he, he could murder me. Like, he's been in the cage. He, he knows what it is. But also, yeah, it is a sport. You're not there to damage each other with the eye gouges and, and that kind of a thing. So I, I see both sides there when these these martial idiots are like, everything learned in MMA is useless because it's not a real street fight. <laughs> like, yeah, but We've I'm going to go, this. I'm going to go hang out with John Fitch instead of you, you idiot. But also, yeah, MMA does have those boundaries trying to not do permanent damage. But also, it would be good to have a study of if you're in a life or death situation to not build in those limiters of, oh, I can't behave in these ways that will destroy somebody else. Now, that person is trying to destroy you. You need to take that limiter off and navigate that situation so that you live to see tomorrow. Especially those this- kicks. They, they create distance, for one. And mm. you can't fight too good if your knees are blown out. Right. And that's a lot of people think, oh, Wing Chun's all patty cake. It, there are a lot of kicks in there. And what is it? it it's kind of like you shouldn't see the shadow of your kick. And and that's kind of like from clinch. From that clinch, sounds like something from a Bruce Lee movie. Well, yeah, Bruce Lee's is. first art was <laughs> Wing Chun until his teacher cut him off for teaching these stupid Americans the secret sauce. So he didn't get the whole system. So he had to come up with Jeet Kune Do to address the the problems that the rest of the system would have taught him. So that's that's kind of where, where that comes from. So most of his, be like water, my friend, was straight up Wing Chun wisdom. And the idea is that the kicks, uh, what is it? Kick with three legs. So it's it's kind of insane <laughs> from, yeah, not with your third leg, you, it, you weirdo. My uncle Randy used to tell me that. <laughs> yeah, I, can, I can kick you out with my third leg. No, it's it's that you're so close, you're connected, and you can kind of like, hey, buddy, I need to I need to hold on to you so that I don't fall over, and now I'm going to kick you while I borrow your two legs, my one leg, and that frees up my fourth to to crush your your platform. So that's from that distance, it's a lot easier to kick somebody than it is at the kind of Taekwondo distances where it's yeah. all super fancy stuff. Is that the reason BJJ became a thing? Because BJJ closes gaps and removes power. Right. That's what my understanding is. Striking it, comes yep. from distance and leverage. That's why BJJ operates within that fucking small confine together. Yep. Well, that's it. What what engine are you running in that chassis, right? So that's that's why a lot of the physics of force mass acceleration, long fist, oh, the more distance I've got, the more powerful I am versus the structure and alignment, having proper alignment and being able to bring your 200 pounds to this one point, you don't need a lot of distance. You don't need a lot of acceleration when you know how to align all that mass to that point. Uh, Jack Dempsey wrote a book on how to beat <laughs> how to beat people up. He was one of the best boxers in the world. And his his example <laughs> in the book use of skills. <laughs> yeah, his his example in the book was okay. Imagine a bag of concrete falling out of a building, or a baby falls out of a building and hits you on the head. This ten pound baby would knock you out cold. This concrete would knock you out cold. So if you learn how to fall your body forward, you don't need to fall for, far in order to just bring all of that to bear. 
So BJJ understands how to manage distance really, really well, cut off the space most people need to generate power. And if you know how to manage that dynamic, then they're screwed. So Wing Chun kind of works in the clinch, but not grappling, but it is you're very entangled. It's not a let's stay back and then take pot shots at each other. It's more of a let's tie each other up. Then I know how to navigate this very uncomfortable close distance without letting you grapple me, but also not going to let you out into clinch range. That's where Wing Chun likes to live. Gary, you sent me, I think, this video. This is phone booth fighting. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, fighting that, in a phone booth. Yeah, it's uh, oh yeah, Wing Chun's only good if you're fighting in a phone booth. I'm like, yeah, I'd rather know how to navigate that super tight environment than have to only be good in a field. And now <clears throat> I'm in a bar with my back against the wall. I don't know what to do because I don't have my fancy kick space. So like <laughs> that shit works. Learn how to navigate the worst environment possible. Then best case scenario you're still golden instead of, I have to have best case scenario for me to, uh, I need, the wind needs to be just right in order for my <laughs> my thousand death stare kick to work. And you're like, Man. That's why I like the guy that stereotypically in the movies back in the 80s pulls his pant legs up. He does right. that, like gets ready to do kicks. Oh, I, like, I got oh. some extra hitch in my giddy up. Oh, oh, you just wait here. Yeah. Like, did you just, are you now leveling up your kick capabilities? Did hiking that's it. up those fucking those beach pants really help anything? Or that's what's that's going why on I like here? the Chuck Norris action pants. That's why that's why I'm like, oh, I gotta I gotta test these pants. Can I do a high kick? I'm like, no, I don't want to be kicking above the knee anyway. Like that's yeah, that's there's just my jeans. Yeah, action pants, baby. <laughs> JC Penny, what's happening? I'm testing one, my pants. One David Bowie kick, and then I walk out. We're good. No ribs. <laughs> All right. You don't hear fucking ass hanging out. This episode got ripped. That's right. <laughs> yeah, That's just, right. Let's sew it up. <laughs> it's, uh, it's all good stuff. I love it. I love it. Do you want to tell everybody um, kind of where they can find you right now if they want to use your services, whether it's a business or uh, an event or anything like that? For sure. I, I give you my word. I won't beat up your audience unless you ask me to. Um, so the, the easiest place to find me They're is... They're masochists. Go for it. Yeah, you, you pay extra for the pain. <laughs> the best place to find me is ICanReadMinds.com. That's my easy to say, easy to remember, easy to spell URL. So you go there, you can find your way to my personal portfolio site for all the corporate services and that kind of stuff. My private NFT gated secret society cult. Uh, so yeah. That's I, another show. Oh, We're yeah, having you back. They, it's it's all sorts of fun stuff. So I love leveraging technology to build community. So I've I've got all sorts of NFT gated stuff. Uh, if you become a member of that community, you get access to discounted merch and T-shirts that are ten thousand dollars normally. Cool. But for members, you get a nine thousand nine hundred seventy dollar discount. Like that's for real. <laughs> because I'm like, if some idiot wants to buy a T-shirt for ten thousand bucks, why not? But I think that'll be an effective way to make sure only members can wear this design. So yeah, iCreedMinds.com is the easiest place to go. I love it. I appreciate you, John. Thank you so much for coming on here, sharing such cool stories and information. And thank you for being someone that's putting their authenticity to use. You know, and I think that's what we're supposed to do. I appreciate the invitation, man. It's really an honor to be able to share my thoughts. So thank you. Appreciate it, Gary. That was a lot of fun. And I could talk about the the martial, all all of the aspects we talked about, but martial arts aspect, something I could talk about forever. And 
know, I'd like to pick your brain about a couple other things, you know, on that subject and with kind of how the other things that you do also apply to martial arts. And, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting because it is all mental, you know, it's obviously have to be somewhat capable, but you know, it's chess. It's, you know, if you, if you know what the guy's going to do before they do it, like most of the time. So, yep. I think, um, you remember we had uh, Jordan De La Grange on. He's a uh, martial artist, but he's also a Chinese. Um, he, he studied Chinese medicine. He opened up his own healing clinic. Cool. And he's a big fan of Wing Chun. That's what he studies for the longest time. But now he's stepping into the MMA world, learning different, you know, different arts and trying to hone his game. He's doing some amateur fights. I'd love to have him on. And, uh, and you at the same time, or Gary, you can bring someone that you know that's an expert. We can have a whole conversation on that. Don't you threaten me with a good time. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring Tony that, Ferguson on. Oh, nice. I think that would be super cool. And then I'd love, um, I'm, I'm booking you for several episodes right now because the next one, I would love to discuss NFTs in podcasting and how they can be leveraged for greater good at the same time. The charitable opportunities as well as the monetization of, you know, to keep your business running. Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Fucking love it. All right, man. Appreciate you. Remember, everybody, be cool and keep learning.